Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's innovative hidden screen folds away when closed, keeping it clean while bringing in a ton more sun. Choose 0% financing for 72 months or a free upgrade to the hidden screen on our 250 series. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I long ago stopped railing about the liberal bias in the mainstream media because, well, it, it's just it's it's too easy. It, it just is. And you just accept that and you kind of move on. And it's one of the reasons why I know some of the alternative forms of information like shows like this have been as successful as they've been. But every once in a while, there is a story that comes out that you just have to highlight and say, oh, my God, is really is this the best that you can do? And that's a story that is being touted in the at least JS online and it's being sent out. And some of the reporters are actually proud, apparently, of this story. If you want to link to it, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Here's the headline. It's from Dan Bice. Rebecca Clayfish, now running on pro-police platform, was once ticketed for resisting arrest. Former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish acknowledged several years ago that she was once ticketed for underage drinking. Only now, however, are all the details coming out. And it turns out that the Oxford, Ohio Police Department report on that 1995 incident seems to have some relevance in the current Republican gubernatorial campaign. Bice writes breathlessly, that's because Clayfish, who is positioning herself as the choice of law enforcement, was cited for not only underage drinking, but also resisting arrest. The report says Clayfish bolted from a police squad car after she had been held for public intoxication. The officer said Clayfish also lied to the cop about her name, age, and social security number. Here are the details from the police report obtained by the Journal Sentinel. I suspect a Pulitzer Prize is in order. Rebecca Reed, Clayfish's maiden name, was picked up after she was spotted stumbling and staggering down the street at 1.15 a.m. on November 1st, 1995, which by my count is going on 27 years ago. Reed, then a sophomore at Miami of Ohio, told the officer she did not have identification, but she was 21. The cop put her in his squad car and drove her to the police department. Drinking age is 21. She was 20 years old and three months. Once at the station, I opened the back door and she bolted from the officer and ran, wrote Patrolman D. Roach. I caught her and placed her in handcuffs. At the station, the police officer determined that Reed gave false information about her name and social security number. She was cited for public intoxication, resisting arrest, and underage drinking. Reed was 20 years, three months old at the time. (sighs) What does Clayfish say about this old but embarrassing incident? Clayfish, now 46, says she hasn't shied from the topic since she was first asked about it in 2013. When the Journal Sentinel included one paragraph on her underage drinking ticket and nearly 1,600-word word profile, unfortunately, many of us make stupid mistakes when we're young, and I was no exception. Of course, I regret my actions. All right, then the story goes on and on and on for various paragraphs. And the point is, 
she has this she has this incident from 1995 and how does that square with the fact that she's running as a tough on crime conservative who has the backing of the Milwaukee Police Department and the Wisconsin Fraternal Order of Police all right asked if she would ex- her expected her ticket for resisting arrest would hurt her standing with police her spokesperson dismissed the suggestion and it goes on and on Th- this is this huge story that Dan Bice writes now <laughs> let's back up here okay this is a story that comes from 1995 when Becky Clayfish was a sophomore in college so he recycles a story from 1995 that was first reported in 2013 about her getting caught for underage drinking when she was 20. They do this in an effort to undercut her when she's running for governor in 2022. What I say on my tweet is is that if this wasn't so obviously petty and mean-spirited, it would be funny. But it's, it's not it's not funny. It's not a newsworthy story. It is, in my opinion, disgraceful that this is how low you have to stoop and this is what you have to do to try to smear various candidates. And make no mistake, that is that is what this is. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no, I've taken no position in the Republican primary for governor. At some point in time, as I said yesterday, that the major candidates I intend to have on between now and the early August primary. But I, this story, it's just almost unbelievable. And by the way, other reporters are tweeting it out. Oh, look, we've got this huge scoop that, you know, something we reported first in 2013 about something that Rebecca Clayfish did. And she's never shied away from this. Uh, okay, she's a sophomore in college. She goes out, she has too much to drink, and she has this incident. And now this is, as the headline screams, now running on a pro-police platform, was once ticketed for resisting arrest because she gets picked up when she's drunk and she behaves in a fashion that I think most of us would agree were, would be you know, unacceptable or bad. She's never shied away for this. So, all right, is this this smoking gun? Is this Woodward and Bernstein? Or is this just an incredible incredible cheap shot and is this one of the reasons perhaps that republican or democrat maybe this is one of the reasons why people just decide that they don't want to get involved in politics because you never know when you might have something that you did that didn't even rise to the level of of a crime it's not like you're convicted and you're sent to jail or you're put on probation it's just okay something embarrassing and stupid that you did when you were Again, in this case, it's in college. You know, now it's going to be recycled 27 years later in an effort to try to undercut you. How can you be tough on crime? Because, I don't know, remember that time that you got drunk and tried to bolt from the police? 855-616-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But, of course... You know, I guess it's also certain things. If you're, I don't know, in, involving, for example, getting arrests and protest marches, if it's the right cause you're protesting for, well, that probably is viewed as a badge of honor. 855-616-1620. I would call this a nothing burger, but to me, it, it, it's not necessarily a nothing burger. It's a nothing burger from the perspective of it says nothing about Rebecca Clayfish's qualifications. It says more about this is something that the media would tend to go after her for, and if anything... I think this maybe makes a lot of people more inclined to vote for Rebecca Clayfish because they say, okay, she's, she's really kind of human, and this is some sort of stupid mistake. But 
my gosh, this is what they're going to try to dig up in an effort to undermine her? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Menominee Falls. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jeff. Um, So 40 years ago when I was a college student at UW-Madison, we had a a keg party, and everybody got so hammered that when the police showed up, I was the only one standing that could actually address them and ended up getting a disorderly conduct ticket, even though I was relatively sober at the time. But because it happened at my apartment, it was just something that if you would go back in my record, you might be able to find that. It has no relevance to my life today, and, and as somebody who is a journalist, I am disgusted by the fact that this stands for journalism today. Well, Mike, you better be careful. You better never run for any sort of office because that might be there. And guys like Dan Bice might be willing to find this and say, hey, 40 years ago, you know, Mike hosted a kegger and he, he was he was the guy that ended up getting the ticket. And, and now he's running on a law and order campaign. You, you better watch it because that's, I guess, the attitude that's out there. Well, exactly. And it is it is. There's a reason why, I mean, I was a literally a lifetime subscriber to the Journal Sentinel and am no longer because it's nauseating. I cannot stomach the, the, the blatant partisan uh, reporting that's going on. And it's not just the Journal Sentinel. It's, as you said, it's across mainstream media. And I'm embarrassed to consider consider myself a journalist because there's, there's really no journalists out there anymore. So, well, th- thanks for uh, calling. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know about that. But, I mean, and look, and, and I understand, you know, I understand muckraking, and I understand let's go back into people's past, and there's some stuff that, that I think is fair game. But, again, this th- first of all, this is a nothing story. 27 years later. Secondly, it was reported in 2013, but now it is recycled two months before the Republican Party. I mean, I I, I hope the Journal Sentinel is now going to commit itself to as thorough an investigation of the background of Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes and all the other different candidates that are running. I mean, who knows what the next story is going to be? I, I fully expect that the next breathless story is going to be Tim Michaels when he was 14 years old up in Fond du Lac he tipped over a cow Kevin Nicholson wait for the story that when he was deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan he got caught maybe with a with a a a copy of Sports Illustrated if they weren't supposed to have them Ron Johnson wait for the report I'm making this up Ron Johnson at the age of 16 was caught parking with his girlfriend at the whatever the lookout point was in Oshkosh this this is I mean this is where we are at right now now and they are proud of this kind of reporting jay in milwaukee jay you're on wtmj hi jeff how are you well good except i just stuff like this just bothers me i guess yeah it bothers me too i can't believe that somebody would dig into the archives that far back just to slander a good person's name it's ridiculous the person that would do that, I would never vote for. And I think that Rebecca should stand up and stand proud for the mistakes that she's made because, hey, she's only human, people. Well, it, it, Get over it. Well, right. Th- thanks for calling. And, and again, what, what, when you talk about, okay, the, the mistakes, are we talking about, okay, somebody was involved in a hit-and-run accident that left somebody dead or paralyzed and fled. Are we talking about, oh, somebody, I don't know, was involved in a carjacking? Are we talking about someone who was involved, I don't know, in an armed robbery? I No, we're talking about a college kid who had too much to drink, got picked. I, okay, and first of all, let, let me see a show of hands. Be honest. 
be honest out there for all of you who went to college, right? Is can you honestly say that when you were in college before there was before you were old enough to drink? So let's say it's the 21 year old drinking age. You're 20 years old. Can you honestly say that? Well, you, you never had you never had a drink or you never had too much to drink. Now, maybe there's a couple of you that can. But my guess is there aren't too many hands going up. Now, I, I understand. So you get picked up. You do. You're intoxicated. You do something stupid, which is I, I didn't give the, I didn't give the police officer my, my correct name and I tried to get away. Oh, OK. It it's an embarrassment, but seriously, twenty seven years later, my God, you've got the Tony Evers head of the parole commission until last Friday. He he's he's out there trying to release a guy who twenty five years ago, you know, killed his wife in front of their two children at the time. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We continue the conversation in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff College. Half of our football team got kicked off for a beer party in high school. That was 1975. Well, I hope over the course of the last going on 50 years, none of those people who got kicked off for that high school beer party have ever sought elective office or or are in elective office or in any sort of public capacity because the Journal Sentinel might be coming for you. There was a beer party. Jeff, I'll give you one better. I was divorced in 1998. On CCAP, my divorce is still out there. I have not been convicted of a crime, but to some people, being divorced is a black mark against me. I don't. Wouldn't, I would hope that would not be Jeff. The fact that they dug that far back and this is all they could find says a lot for Rebecca. Jeff, uh, didn't she work for? Um, she worked for Channel Twelve. Apparently, that that didn't bother that media outlet. They didn't think this was something that was disqualifying. Um, no, because. You know, it it isn't. Um, but you know, that was fine for that. But now this is this this is this big breathtaking story. Um, this is the idea. Well, I mean, why are you defending her? I'm, it's not a question of defending her. Rebecca Clayfish doesn't need to be defended. It does, however, th- this. This is the silly season when it comes to politics. And look, and I appreciate there's all sorts of significant issues that are out there. If you've got candidates that didn't pay their taxes um, or, you know, had, had serious criminal behavior, you know, in their past, you can discuss it. But, OK, she gets a ticket for underage drinking back when she's 20 years old. This is a story that was first disclosed eight, nine years ago. And now this is being recycled uh, two months before the primary. I mean, can't we can't we expect better? Jeff, what makes me laugh about this is that this is the best that they could find. Well, um, yes, um, Jeff, she had the decency to not be driving. This is pathetic. Well, you know, that that's a fair point. If we were talking about a drunk driving conviction or something like that, even if it was 20 plus years ago. All right. Maybe, maybe then it's a story, but it's a college kid who has too much to drink. And I do think it's interesting. It would be interesting to go through the, I don't know, the, the staff of what remains of, for the writing staff at the Journal Sentinel and, and kind of ask, okay, but let's just see. And anybody get picked up for underage drinking here? You know, everybody, anybody have these incidents? And then we, we just wonder about the people living in glass houses. Anne in Muskego. Anne, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. What do you think? Um, okay, so, yeah, they should be pulling things back from this car. But what, the, I mean, I was in the car. No, I'm parked. And waited to be, I was told I was going to be on. 
What highlights is that, yes, she was 20 years old. And young adults, at least under the age of 21, make often make foolish decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, they just think they're old enough or whatever. And when I'm thinking about all this gun legislation that has now been highlighted, um, and the argument not to raise the at least the age from 18 to 21 to purchase any gun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how how they do make stupid mistakes, and this just highlights it. You know, I mean, well, it's I have nothing against. <laughs> well, and thanks for calling. I mean, I don't want to get too far afield here, but I, I mean. All right, I, I, this is. I'm, I'm prepared to. Okay, Melissa Barclay. Th- this might get me the subject of the latest expose in the Journal Sentinel. But you know what? When, when I, I t- the drinking age was 18 when I turned 18. So, and I have to admit, I, I have to admit, never got arrested, never got stopped by a police officer, but I did. I did from time to time have some beers before I was eighteen. Oh, that's so shocking! I, Jeff. I know I do. I, 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 I fully, I, I, I fully admit this. And and back then, you know, it, and it wasn't just beers. It, it might have been like like cheap wine, Thunderbird and Apple Boone Springs Apple Boone's Farm. wine, Boone's Farm, Apple yeah. Boone's Farm. Ooh, you know. But and I, I admit, and I'm I'm just saying that now, I never got arrested, never got stopped by the police. But I guess you could have always had that happen. So I don't know if if some of these news media outlets are, are going. Pulitzer Prize hunting. There it is. I, I, I confess it was something that, that yes, in fact, I, I did probably when I was 17 as a child of the 70s, not necessarily proud of it. But I don't know if, if this is now the standard that is out there. It's going to be interesting to see who they will be able to find that can, in fact, run for governor. If you want to read this garbage story, again, I've got a link to it um, on my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Rebecca Clayfish, 20 years old, arrested for underage drinking. Stop the presses. I, I was confessing that, you know, before I turned 18 and the drinking age was 18, I, I actually, I was in high school, I, I had a couple beers and some other things. And, and now I, I'm hearing from a lot of children of the 70s, you, Jeff, you didn't drink MD 2020? Oh, Mad which, Dog? <laughs> Mad Dog 2020. I, o- only once or twice. Like the worst. Oh, that, well, Thunderbird was the worst. We had, we had Thunderbird. Somebody says, how about Strawberry Hill? That's what I used to drink. Oh, Strawberry that, Hill. All that sweet mm. stuff. But it was like Boone's Farm. Apple. I, I remember. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that. Um, but yeah, I think. And I, I also, I also remember a night that um, when I was even, I wasn't close to being eighteen. But it was, it was me and some brandy in somebody's basement. And to this day, <laughs> I can't face brandy. Everybody you know? has one of those brandy Every, stories. Everyone you know? has one of those yeah. stories. <laughs> Everybody continues to share their youthful experiences with alcohol that continue to haunt them to this day. Jeff, I was 20 years old, house party in a high-rise in a Chicago apartment, Southern Comfort, never been able to touch it again. That's how bad it was. Yeah, I understand that. Hey, Summerfest is all about bringing you shows that you'll brag about and moments that you just cannot miss. More stages and picture-perfect spaces on the lakefront, local eats, drinks, shopping, and even an all-new children's area for your up-and-coming little rockers. You can get your tickets at Summerfest.com or just be listening to my show all week for your chance to win a four-pack of tickets from WTMJ. Yep, somebody... Between now and 3 o'clock, we'll win a four-pack of tickets to Summerfest. And while you're out there,
there, be sure to stop by and see us. We're going to be broadcasting live every day from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. I will be there at Summerfest again. Keep in mind, this year it's over three weekends. It's Thursday through Saturday, three consecutive weekends. And I'm out there every weekday but the first uh, weekday, which is a week from thir- week from tomorrow, which is the opening day of Summerfest because there's an early Brewers game. But otherwise, I'm there every weekday from noon to three, so stop off and say hi. And I'll tell you, sometime between now and three, I'll give you the high sign and you can call in and we'll give away a four-pack of tickets to Summerfest. Okay. Here's, I live in this real world, and when I do this show, I try to convey the, the, the real world to people. Because there's all sorts of stuff that might be nice, but you can't afford it. And that's part of, of being a grown-up. You, you have to realize that you can't afford everything. But on, on a personal level, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, I would really like to go out and buy that 70-inch, big-screen, smart, high-definition TV. I'd, I'd really like that. But, you know, I just can't, I can't justify the money. I just don't, I can't, I don't, I can't afford it right now because I, I've got a, I don't know, redo the windows, or we've got these more pressing needs, or I've got a kid going to college or something like that. Th- these are the real-world choices that you end up making because there's not enough money to go around. When it comes to government, though, they, they often don't make th- those choices. It's like, okay, let's spend this. Oh, this sounds like it's a nice thing. All right, we, we've got a streetcar, and wait, gee, th- doesn't this sound like a nice thing? So, yeah, if it's going to cost us $100 million, who cares? And if it's going to cost us $400 million to expand, let's do it. What the heck? Without thinking about where is the money going to come from, and could that money be better spent on other sorts of things? It's kind of like there's no bright, shiny object which is is too expensive to go out and grab. Which brings me to the Mitchell Park Domes. All right. First of all, let me see a show of hands. Everybody who knows where the Mitchell Park Domes are. Right? Hands are going up all over. Everybody who's been, at some point in time, been to the Mitchell Park Domes. Okay. Lots of hands are, are still up. Everybody who has been to the Mitchell Park Domes within the last 10 years. Whew. Whew. That sound you heard was all these hands going down. The Mitchell Park Domes, it's, it's, it's nice. I, I, the last time I went there, 20 years maybe, maybe more than that. I mean, I, I just, I have a vague recollection of it and it was, it was very, very nice and I, I enjoyed the experience, but it, it just, I, I haven't gone back. And I think that's the case. Maybe, you know, if you grew up around here when you were a kid, maybe there was a field trip that went to the Mitchell Park Domes. Okay, that that's fine. But for most people, you haven't gone back. And I understand there's somebody out there listening to me say, oh, no, I, I, I go there. I take my kids. I go there every month. All right, good. That That's great. And I appreciate that. But that's not where most people are. Now, I bring this up because you will remember, oh, almost almost 10 years ago, they had a problem when a, a big piece of concrete, 
fell from the ceiling of the Mitchell Park domes. And this caused all sorts of, of problems. It's like, oh, well, we don't want people walking through the domes and having big chunks of concrete fall off. The Mitchell Park domes were built starting in 1964 and I think completed in 1967. So the architecture and the, the building style and structures were stuff that you found in the 60s, which is different than the way they build the stuff now. The problem with the Mitchell Park domes is, for all intents and purposes, they have reached the end of their useful life. That That's just the reality. And it, it doesn't say anything bad about them. It doesn't say anything good about them. It just says that, okay, for these type of structures, you know, they're pushing 60 years old, and you know they're, they're really kind of at the end. And what you need to do is make a really, really difficult decision as to what should happen now. So a few years back, the county commissioned this study that came out and recommended, all right, what we want to do is we we think we should essentially retrofit them. You know, we'll, we'll do all these upgrades, and it offered these grand plans about private-public partnerships. We're going to do all this stuff, and we're going to dramatically increase the attendance, and the cost is going to be $66 million. All right, so fine. And, of course, the operative question was, Okay, where are we going to get $66 million? Because the park system doesn't have money and the zoo, and you're going to have to rebuild the courthouse, and we've got all these other issues that are out there. Where are you going to get $66 million for, for the domes? And so what's happened is, plus there were a lot of supervisors at the time, give them credit, who recognized that the $66 million was was pie in the sky. It, it just, even if you had the $66 million, the project was actually going to cost a lot more. And th- this idea of public, fina- of public and private financing and expanding this, it was never going to work. So nothing has happened. So if it was even legitimately 66 million bucks six years ago, you can imagine what it is now. Sheldon Wasserman, who's one of the county supervisors, the, the report, this is what he's quoted as saying, the report was complete fantasy. It doesn't deal with reality. I feel badly for the people who are so invested in the Save the Domes movement, and it's really an embarrassment for everybody who um, participated in the work. Wasserman goes as far as saying, hey, we spent $170,000 on this this bogus sort of study, and you know, we, we, maybe we should be looking at seeing how we could get the money back. But the bottom line is, the idea was six years ago, they said it's going to cost $66 million and we can do this. The, the plan was never realistic. But more importantly, it's now been six years. So if it, even if this was a legitimate $66 million now, you're probably... It's probably $90 million, $100 million to, to do the same thing six, seven, eight years later, given what's going on with inflation and all the different costs. So the underlying question is, are the domes, which are very, very nice, and this isn't an anti-dome you know, segment, but you have to make decisions. And given the fact that Milwaukee County is, in many respects, broke, and given the fact that you're still dealing with the, out, the, the pension scandal, given the fact that the uh, courthouse, the, the safety building in particular, is going to have to be replaced, and that's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars, given the fact that you know, you're still wrestling with where you're going to get cup, come up with money, it, you can't even, even if you had the money, you can't even find workers to work the, at the park system or whatever. All right, $165 million, $70 million, $80 million, $90 million, whatever that number is, 
know, is it worth putting it into the domes? 855-616-1620. And unfortunately, my, my answer is no. Sometimes things which are nice, and the domes are nice, sometimes they just outlive their usefulness. And to, to even consider putting tens of millions of dollars into an effort to save the domes. I, I'm sorry, I, you, don't, you don't have the money. If we were flush with dough and, you know, you had a pot with $100 million sitting around here, maybe it's a conversation you have. But how can you have that conversation given where we are? 855-616-1620, we discuss. One of our texters says, okay, here, l- let's privatize the domes. Well, I, I yeah, but there, there's no interest out there. There, there, there it, it, that doesn't make sense. If running it as a public operation where it's supported by tax dollars can't generate enough revenue to make the repairs on this, how in the world – show me the business guy who's going to come up and say, okay, I've got $80 million here, and I'm going to renovate the domes, and I'm going to want to buy it, and even if the county would be willing to sell it to them for a dollar. Yeah, okay, so then then tell me how you're going to make money off of that. So you, you privatize it, but nobody's going to buy it because it, it doesn't work. Jeff, too bad we blew the domes money on the new street. Well, that is city and county, so there is a difference. But, but yeah, it, it's the the larger point about this is the the whole fact that you there, there's a limited amount of of money, and you have to prioritize things that are that are out there, and and that's kind of the issue. Um, Jeff, um, and somebody says, well, I, I was there last December. I was there for an event. Well, that, that's great. You know, you can, I, I'm, I'm sure you can go for an event. And and yes, but, you know, the question is, have you been there for anything else? And people are saying no. Jeff, I always enjoyed the domes, but it's not cost effective. People have to realize in this country the difference between a wish list and a need list. needs list. Unfortunately, things are going on now are blurring the lines too much, and we need to bring things back to reality. So, I mean, that's the, that's the question that's out there. Jeff, the domes lost their ability to attract visitors a long time ago. It's time to move on. Thanks for speaking against wasting money on training trolleys and, and domes well and, and it makes me sound like i'm the, this awful guy who d- don't you realize the cultural value and the historical value i i do but they were built in the mid-60s and all right there, there's a lot of that construction that has reached the end of its useful life so now the real world question is what are we going to do and a, a, as far as priorities is it worth taking and again, the, the estimate was $66 million. That was six years ago, and, and a lot of the county supervisors saying that was ridiculous at the time. So, But let, let's say it's $80 million. Let's say it's $90 million. Explain to me where that money is going to come from. Explain to me where the operating dollars are going to come from. And then what does that mean? Does it mean we shortchange the zoo? Does it mean we shortchange the parks? Uh, I keep telling you, the safety building in the courthouse need massive, massive work. And that's going to be a huge price tag, not to mention, you know, just all the other maintenance that needs to be done. Let's talk to James on the south side. Hi, James. How you doing there, uh, Jeff? Good. Um, yeah, I've been there within the last several years and that, and it's nice and that. Yeah. But I think uh, I think the, the newer idea that I just came up with and that would be, like you see around town, and that is probably uh, for senior living or that uh, apartments and stuff. Keep the park-like uh, type of uh, stuff somewhat mm-hmm. in, in in that area there. But I think uh, do it that way. Uh, bring the dorms down and make it that way. Uh, make it more 
a functional type of thing, though. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, or, I mean, thanks to God, I mean, or, or sell or, or sell the land or, or, you know, turn it into parks or, or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just, so so often we, we have these different discussions about stuff, and, you know, the, 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 the blowback I always get is, well, you just don't want to do anything. No, it, that's not the case. But the, the idea is you, you have to prioritize stuff. You do not have enough money to do everything. So you've got to make your, your different choices. And from a business model perspective, I mean, the... This is always going to be a situation where the taxpayers are going to have to be significantly underwriting the, the domes. Oh, okay, can you limp ahead with this? That, that's great until they, they finally fall down. And, and, and maybe that's the, the way to go. But the truth of the matter is, if we're really talking about like making major repairs to these things, you, you've, you've got to have this ongoing conversation. And the first question is, tell me in the real world where you're going to get all the dough. Tell me in the real world where that 65 or 70 or 80 or $90 million is going to come from. Where are the private investors? I mean, right now, one of the big challenges is the Milwaukee Public Museum is, is moving from its location to close to um, the, the Deer District, and, and they're in a major fundraising campaign. They got to raise like a hundred, and it's it's more than a hundred million dollars off the top of my head. Okay, so they're going to be hitting up the private sector for for that. How much money do you expect that you can siphon out of the Milwaukee sector? How many people you know can you go to and say, all right, we want you to contribute to the museum. We want you to contribute to support the arts. And, and by the way, we want you to contribute you know X amount of dollars to rebuild the domes. The domes. I went there when I was a kid. They were pretty nice. But really, just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. That sound you just heard was the air going out of the stock market balloon. Um, at one point in time earlier today, the Dow was up like 300 points. Now uh, it, it now it's bouncing around. Um, just a couple minutes ago, it was in negative territory. Right now, it's up 66. What happened is, we've been telling you about all day, the Federal Reserve, which was meeting to deal with interest rates, they have just announced um, that they are going to be raising interest rates by 0.75 percentage points, three-quarters of a percentage point. That is the largest interest rate increase since 1994. Now, the, the reason the stock market might not completely crater today based on this news is because it was, it's was it been speculated for the last couple days. The Fed was originally talking about raising interest rates half a point, and then the last couple of days they started hinting that they might go to three-quarters of a point. And so I, I think that may be, and I say maybe baked in a little bit to, you know, the, the just with the disaster that's been going on in the stock market for the last couple of days. So it, it might be that that decision's already factored in. I, I'm not, by the way, arguing that it's it's the wrong thing to do. For those of you who, what what difference does it make, a quarter point or a half a, a point? Here, here's, here, let me just kind of give you how this works in, in just sort of a nutshell. Um, inflation which is rising costs. There, there's a number of factors of it, but it, it comes down to basically supply and demand. In, in this case, it's too much money chasing too few goods. 
So it's kind of like, let me give you an example. Um, you 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 want a house, a bidding war on a house. Somebody puts their house on the market for two hundred thousand dollars, and you have a number of people who want it, and they get into a bidding war, and the house that was priced at two hundred thousand dollars, you know, ends up selling for two hundred and forty thousand dollars because it gets into a bidding war because there's too many people that have the money who are bidding on this, and there's not enough houses. So that's that's why prices go up. There's not enough gasoline. There's more demand. There's not enough baby formula. There's more demand. Whatever this is, um, you, you don't have enough foods uh, that we're not used to, so people have to pay more for it. And one of the things that contributes to inflation is is easy money. By that I mean, you know, for for the last several years, the interest rate has, has been as close to zero as you can imagine. Anybody who has money in a savings account or a money market account or something, you know that. You're getting almost no return on that. And that's because for years the monetary policy has been, all right, let's let's make money available really, really cheap because we want to keep the economy going. We want to encourage businesses to borrow money. We want to to then like fuel spending because we want to keep the economy afloat. We want people to, to be spending. We want to encourage individuals to borrow money because we want them to spend. And th- that's all well and good. But now, when you see a situation where you've had the easy money, people have borrowed money, and now they're spending all this money, and now there's not as much, there's not enough goods, there's not that many goods that are around, the costs are going up, and that's why you're looking at an inflation rate of like 8.6% or whatever craziness that that might end up being. So that that's that's how this all happens. So what the Federal Reserve is trying to do, somewhat belatedly, the Federal Reserve is trying to slowly shut off the spigot for for borrowing and for money. And one of the things they do is they do that by raising their rates. And that rate, they set it, and then, you know, it, it gets passed on. Then banks set their rate based on, you know, what the Federal Reserve is charging and things like that. So that's why you have this three-quarters of a percentage point increase. It's designed to slow down borrowing, which ultimately is designed to, again, slow down spending, which hopefully will allow, all right, the, the, the price of goods to stabilize. Now, the problem you have, and this is where you get into a recession, is if you slow down spending too much, then what happens is, is people, people stop buying things. You know, there, there's not money around for people to buy stuff, and so there's no demand for goods. So, it's it's really a very tricky thing to do. The Federal Reserve probably should have been increasing rates gradually for a while. And I think it's very, very clear that most, as I've argued before, most of the decisions that Joe Biden has made since he took over office by, by just throwing money and money and money into the economy has contributed to the inflation that we have now. But th- that's what happened. So in an effort to try to control inflation, they're, they're raising rates. It's three quarters of a percentage point, the largest increase since 1994, and look for more rate increases to come out over the course of the next few months. So I I don't know where ultimately it's going to be by the end of the year, but the Federal Reserve is finally waking up to the fact that inflation is not, as the president had said a while ago, a transitory problem that was going to go away in a short period of time. It's a long, it's kind of a long slog, and this is what they're doing. And like I say, I, I, 
I don't think they're necessarily wrong in increasing it by three quarters of a percentage point. But the fear that the stock market investors have is that by increasing the rates, you're going to make it more difficult for companies to borrow or get access to money. So that's going to cause problems with hiring and their earnings and things like that. So far, the market, while down from its highs, hasn't hasn't cratered right now it's up who who knows what it's going to be in in two hours from now when it closes but right now the nasdaq up 124 the dow jones up 37 um it's you know who knows where we're going to be in two hours but it didn't immediately crater in part because like i say i think this was kind of baked into all the bad stuff that has been going on in the market but it's the economy's a mess that that's just the, the bottom line the economy is a mess and i'm not sure that anybody knows exactly you know what to do about this but for people who are watching the federal reserve that's what happened and i understand inflation is a little bit more probably a lot more complicated than i tried to explain in 4 or 5 minutes on the radio but you you get the general idea for most of us what we want to do is we want to see gas prices go back down to, you know, $2.50 where they were a year ago. And we want to see food prices come down and we want shrinkflation to go away so that when we're used to going and buying a 32-ounce jug of Gatorade, we don't spend more money to buy a 28-ounce jug of Gatorade. Okay, I mentioned this earlier on. Charlie is anxious for this. I've got a four-pack of tickets to Summerfest to give away. Summerfest starts a week from tomorrow. I have a four-pack of tickets to give away. Let's give them to caller number 8. Caller number 8 at 855-616-1620. Caller 8 wins a four-pack of tickets to Summerfest 2022. So, very glad to have you with us. We do have our winner of the Summerfest four-pack of tickets. Um, Keep listening. We're going to have some more to give away as the week rolls on. All right, some people, I got one text. How how dare you say that that Joe Biden is contributing to inflation? To which my response is, OMG. I I mean, seriously? Uh, You know, here's the deal. You cannot take $1.9 trillion dollars in money that we don't have and dump it into the economy under the guise of pandemic spending after the pandemic is essentially over and not recognize what that is going to do to prices. You can't say to people, hey, we're not going to make you pay your obligations. You're not going to have to pay your student loans and not say and realize that that's going to have a huge impact and result on inflation. You can't say to people, hey, we're going to tell you, we're going to say that you can't have your property foreclosed on if you don't make payments. So spend that money on something else that you don't have to pay rent, you know, for months and months and months. And you spend it on somebody else, something else, and not recognize that that is going to lead to the inflationary mess that we have now. You can't declare war on energy providers and talk about how you want to put fossil fuel manufacturers out of business and you want to force auto manufacturers to you know um, stop using the the uh, the uh, you know internal combustion engines and not recognize that that's going to have an impact on the production that oil companies are going to have I mean if you're an oil company you've got somebody like Joe Biden who's essentially threatening to close you down your response is well why, why would I put money into new refineries and stuff when I've got this hostile 
local government that's there. So then, you know, you say, oh, well, there, there's not enough refinery capacity. Well, no kidding, Sherlock. You know, when you've got the government that's essentially saying, I want to try to put you out of business. Now the government's saying, well, you know, why, why aren't you producing more and more stuff? It's, I mean, it's just, as I said earlier, in my opinion, since Joe Biden took over, he, he's pretty much, when it comes to the economy, done everything wrong that there is to, to do. And unless there's a complete and total reversal, I think the economy is going to get worse before it ultimately gets better. But this idea that, oh, you know, we this is this is nothing, you know, I mean, here's the deal. You know, if you want to look where inflation first started going up, when it really got to be bad, it was in April of last year after that $1.9 trillion stimulus thing got pushed through, and then inflation went to 4-plus percent, and it's been going up and up ever since then. So, no, I I don't back down on this one. I I think there's a lot of factors going on, and Putin's war in Ukraine has not helped. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. And certainly COVID didn't help, but we've in this country, I think, economically done pretty much everything wrong over the course of the last year and a half. Which brings me to a story, letter, an, actually an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal that I want to share with you and get your reaction to it. There is incredible pressure on Joe Biden from the left to wave his magic wand and do away, just just make $1.6 trillion in student debt go away. There's, we just think it's terrible that people borrowed money and now they actually have to repay it. And, of course, the appeal to this is that you've got you know, Democrats that look like they're going to be you know, massacred in the electorally, you know, in November. And the idea is, well, you've got about 40 million people that have student loans. So if we magically make this debt go away, they will be so thrilled with us that they will forget all these other things and they will run out and they will vote for us. And, and there's pressure with that that's there. Now, Biden's under pressure just to do away with all student debt. The latest proposal he has is to forgive about $10,000, just take $10,000 off the top of everybody's student debt. The reason you would limit it to 10000 is because th- this is very regressive. By that, I mean the people that have the most in student debt typically tend to be the people who went to like the Ivy League colleges and things like that to get their law degrees or their medical degrees or whatever, who really have the capability long term of paying back this this debt. So this would be uh, an incredible, you, you want to talk about a big sloppy wet kiss. If you were to forgive all student debt, that's that's an incredible benefit to like the upper middle class and, and the upper class. So now Biden is talking about like a, a lower sort of thing. Maybe maybe we'll make it 10,000. Now, I have serious questions about legally how the president without any act of Congress can just wave his magic wand and suddenly you make all this debt disappear. I don't think it's legal, but whether it's legal or not, I don't think it's necessarily going to make any difference because, you know, you, you do this and while it's tied up in court, maybe you try to get, you know, um, you try to get credit from the electorate. Well, anyhow, here is an op-ed piece that appeared in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Student loan forgiveness makes my grandson a chump. He's 18 and working two jobs to help pay for college. He could have taken out loans at taxpayer expense. My grandson, Aaron, is 18 and preparing to enter college this fall. He's been a defensive end of some skill, a pitcher on his high school basketball team, a trumpet player, and a thespian. He was salutatorian of his high school class. He's also a chump. 
His mom tells me that she and her husband have saved enough money to pay four years of -of out-of-state tuition at one of the top agricultural engineering schools in the nation, Iowa State. According to Aaron, it's like the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, but for tractors. Aaron has raised pigs since he was nine, showing them at the county fair and selling meat to friends and neighbors. He spent lots of time scooping hog manure and thawing out frozen porcine drinking fountains. He's developed entrepreneurial skills along the way. He's worked in our family's greenhouse. This summer, he's working construction, helping build a house. He's also picking up extra hours by helping out at a fireworks stand. All right. Um... And she goes on to talk about how proud she is. Senator Elizabeth Warren and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer support a plan to forgive as much as $50,000 in student loans per borrower. The Biden administration is preparing to announce a plan that will forgive $10,000 in loans. Meanwhile, the interesting question, whether the president actually has the power to cancel that, is hardly mentioned. Aaron and his parents have worked for years to pay for his college education, which seems both admirable and foolish. Clearly, a better strategy would be to borrow as much as possible and let the taxpayers foot the bill. The pressure on the next president to continue college debt forgiveness will be immense, and such forgiveness could become permanent, like other government programs that began as temporary measures. Um, Forgiving student loans would no doubt anger those who have already paid theirs off, and it wouldn't be popular with people who didn't attend college at all, but erasing debt wouldn't change the financial lives of many and adults. For Aaron and students like him, the game would change. Um, If students expect their debt to be forgiven, it makes little sense to take an after-school job or enter the working world until they earn their degree. Aaron's job at the fireworks stand will end on July 4th, but his construction job will last until he enters college in the fall. He will continue to show up for work, lifting heavy boxes until July 4th and laying insulation in an attic in the hot Missouri summer. But if the administration goes ahead with its plans, a large part of the work Aaron has done will have been for naught. The funds from forgiven loans could have replaced the money he earned through hard work. At 18, he might not comprehend the value of work, but he'll certainly get that he's been played for a fool. She's saying, hey, my, my kids and my grandkids, they, they've done all the right things. They've saved. They've worked. They've done all the right things. And now they're essentially chumps for saving all that money. Why don't we just forgive all the loans? All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. Joe Biden wants votes. He says, hey, 10 grand. I'm just going to make it go away. Assuming he can do it. Is that a good idea? Elizabeth Warren says, no, it's got to be 50 grand. All right. Student loan debt forgiveness. It might work out well at the polls, but maybe not. I mean, are you a chump if you've done all the right things, given what the administration now says it wants to do? Ah, we have touched the nerve. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm a Democrat. This is the worst idea ever. Student loan debt is a choice and part of adulting. Today, you don't have to pay to go to college to make a good salary. If you choose to go to college and would like your debt erased, I suggest you become a doctor in a rural area or a teacher in an inner city or a public defender. Then I'd be forgiving all in favor of forgiving part of your um, loans. Um, let's see. Jeff, I come from a conservative family, served in the military, worked very hard for what I have. I'm very fiscally conservative. 
Um, my family is very conservative. Most people in my family push really hard for all the kids to go to college. I noticed a similar push in the school system 30 years ago. I believe we are personally responsible for what we buy, um, but we won't win this battle until we stop pushing everybody to go to college. Yeah, see, I think that's an interesting point as well, this idea that you can't be successful if you go to college. But to me, that's a separate consideration. If you make the decision that you want to go to college, fine. If you make the decision that you don't want to work while you're in college, fine. If you make the decision that you don't want to save money while your kids are growing up so you can't help them with college, that's fine. I have no problems with the student loan program. But just like people who take out mortgages or car loans or run up their credit cards, where do we get this idea that the taxpayer should come in and bail you out? Jeff, nothing makes my blood boil more than the discussion on forgiving student debts. I myself worked full-time and went to college full-time to put myself through school. My husband and I saved to put our daughter through college. There are hundreds of businesses looking for help. Get a job and put yourself through school. And By the way, we paid for daycare. I'm also getting a number of texts from people whose story is we for we, we we passed up on a lot of things because we wanted to send our kids to school so you know we we gave up on some vacations that we might have otherwise had we gave up buying you know new cars as often as we might like to because our priority was saving to put our kids through school so now i'm paraphrasing it's my phrase but now are, are we chumps when the idea is, well, okay, for everybody who didn't, for everybody who just said, okay, we're, there's going to be student loans that are available, take them, and now we're going to forgive them, is that, I mean, you really are chumps. You know, the guy next door is going on the fancy vacations, and he's buying the fancy cars, and, you know, his, his kids have taken out student loans. Fine, no problem with that. You've done what I would argue is the right thing, and now... You know, he's essentially being rewarded, and you're the one who's getting rogered by this because you're told that you have to pay for it. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Mike. I have never called into a radio station before, even though I listen to talk radio all day when I'm in the car, but this topic just just really gets under my skin. So I've got four kids. I put them all through school in Madison. All four of them have advanced medical degrees, two doctors, a nurse anesthetist, and a nurse practitioner. I paid for every dollar of their college experience, right down to the last beer they drank when they graduated. I never added it up, but I'm guessing it's well in excess of a million dollars for the four of them. How do I get my money back? You don't. <laughs> you, you know, you're a chump. We've, <laughs> We for, as a family, we forego everything. I never have, I have never driven a new car. We don't have boats, snowmobiles, motorcycles. I don't have the lake house up north, you know, that a lot of my friends do. Um, but I got four kids that left college debt free. Yeah. But, uh, you know, now Democrats, well, they want to give everybody that went to college that didn't do what I and my wife did. And they, and they want to give them, basically want to give them their money back. So how do I get my money back? I want my money back. Well, Mike, the, the answer is you, you don't. No, no thank, thanks for the call. That, that's what the, the answer is you don't. And, and by the way, I don't want to get too far into the woods, but you know, we were talking in the last segment about inflation and stuff. What, one of the reasons I believe inflation is taking off as much is under the Biden administration and 
you know, under Trump at the be- at the beginning of the pandemic, we put a moratorium on having to pay your student loans. So instead of having to pay down that debt, people have been able to take that money and spend it on oh, pretty much anything they want. Therefore, again, fueling the money into the economy. Can you imagine what would happen if you would do what uh, Elizabeth Warren or Chuck Schumer want to do and suddenly say, okay, we're going to make fifty thousand dollars in student loans just go away? Can you imagine what that would do with inf- to inflation? If people no longer had to pay, number one, legitimate debts, so they could spend it on whatever they wanted, any money they had, and alternatively, then the taxpayers are going to have to come up with, pick up the tab for, for doing that. But I guess the bottom line to me is this is just fundamentally unfair. 855 616 1620, Peg in Germantown. Peg, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, good to talk to you. Hi, Peg. Um, we did the same thing. Hi. We did the exact same thing. We paid for our son's college, and he's now a very successful engineer. And, and Jeff, the reason we did that is we wanted him to start his life debt-free. But we we didn't buy a lot of things for ourselves. We made sure that he would be set. Mm-hmm. But, but the other thing I want to say, Jeff, real quick, is I'm a teacher, and years ago when I was preparing for student teaching, my husband and I made payments ahead of time on our cards, on our, you know, credit cards. We made payments ahead of time on our uh, car payment. We made payments. We even called the mortgage, even called the bank and said, hey, I'm going to be without a paycheck for a semester. Is there something we can do to be ahead of this thing? Because we know it's coming. So I was taught you pay off your debts. I was taught to pay off my loans. That's Mm -hmm. what my parents taught me. And I'm looking back at this thinking, maybe I need to get an advanced degree and if somebody else pick it up. I mean, I've got a master's. Maybe I should go for my Ph.D. Well, that, that's... I know uh, I'm being sassy. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I... I by the way, Peg, I like sassy. So you you can call up anytime. You can call up anytime and be sassy. I I, I love sassy. But yeah, right. That that's the the whole thing. And look, and I, I I I hate to paint with a broad brush. But what what about the what about the kids that I don't know go to college for a year or two and don't apply themselves and drink beer and all and borrow a bunch of money and then drop out. I mean, it, we just we forgive that as well. It's like okay, we're we're going to pay for you know two years for you to just kind of hang out and drink beer and just go to college football games and stuff which are all great at some point in time do we say that it has to be individual responsibility i mean nobody holds a gun to your head and says okay you you have to borrow thirty thousand dollars to go to you know whatever university you want to go to you nobody holds a gun to your head it is an option and it's a good option that's extended to you but you know once you make that that decision just like once you sign a mortgage or just once you buy a car or just once you charge something on credit card you have an obligation to repay it Absolutely. I agree with you. And like I said, for my son, he's very successful. But our goal was to make sure he started off on the right foot. Yes. And And I I understand. And I understand that there's a lot of people out there who maybe can't afford that, can't do that. But I can't tell you, Jeff, and I mean this sincerely, how many teachers are out there. And hopefully this won't get me in trouble. But how many teachers are out there maybe and this could have been a few years ago, couldn't get a job and said, well, I'll go back and get my master's. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you you get your undergrad, then you get a job, then you pay for your master's. Yeah, no, so, thank, yeah, no thanks to call, Peg. No, I, I, I get it. No, thanks to call, Peg. And by the way, I, I sincerely, I always do like sassy. I, I guess I just look at the, this whole scenario and a number of people are actually catching on to this. A number of our texts, are, there's this political calculation going on. And again, I have significant issues 
with the legality of this. I, I don't know how you just wave a magic wand and say, you know, debt disappears. You know, I, I mean, Congress could forgive it. I just, you know, we don't have kings in this country, and I don't, I don't see how the president could do that. But that's a that's a story for you know another another day. But the whole question is, you know, whether or not this is really a, a political gain, and I'm I'm not sure it is because yes, you're going to make some people happy, but you're really going to hack off a lot of other people who just fundamentally do not believe that this this whole thing is fair. Now, as I always say when we talk about this topic, I. I uh, it's I appreciate that student loan debt is an issue. If you wanted to do something meaningful that I think all of us could get behind, that would be changing the interest rates. You know, a lot of the student loan debt that was taken up, that was taken, was taken at, at really high interest rates, way above the market interest rates, even where the interest rates are now. Now, if the proposal was, look, we're not going to forgive debt, but we are going to renegotiate the loans and we're going to allow you to, to get in at an interest rate of 4% instead of interest rate of 10% or whatever that is, which significantly lowers your payback period and things like that, that's something that I, I think you could seriously and maybe seriously should look at because it's not loan forgiveness. You're still holding people to their underlying obligations, but you're recognizing there's been a change in market conditions. So, but we're not talking about that because that doesn't make the splash because people are saying, well, you, you, I still have to pay back my loan. Yeah, you got to pay back the loan. We'll give you a break on the interest rate, maybe, but uh, yes, we still expect you to honor your obligations. Back with more on this in just a moment. We're back. Janelle in Germantown. Janelle, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Hi. Um, I can already tell this might not be the most popular uh, That's okay. take on this. However, <laughs> life would, Janelle, lo- the world would be boring if we all agreed. So g- give me your best shot. That's very <laughs> true. So I think, first of all, it's very toxic mindset to feel that simply because another generation or another group of people have something easier than you did or have that thing at all, that that breeds uh resentment within you and i honestly hearing the calls and the text there's a fair bit of resentment to go around well i had to do this so someone should so and so should have to as well and i'll really adhere to that because i think it's the cause of of a lot of ills in our society the fact that simply because someone else has something and i don't that they don't deserve it that being said when it comes to college tuition whether it's a traditional four-year two-year technical college, or honestly, even just job training. I think it's at the point that we shouldn't consider these things purchases. They are absolutely necessary. I I mean, I also think the same about housing, but we're not discussing that. Um, You have to learn more out of high school nowadays. It's just not an option. And I think as a society, we should try our best to alleviate the burden off the next generation so they can succeed. So um, let me ask you, let me stop you, Joe. Elizabeth, so is this, oh, yeah. so do you think, for example, that, that, that retired couple on a fixed income has an obligation to pay for somebody to go to University of Pennsylvania at $60,000 a year, undergraduate? Do you think they have an obligation to do that? Honestly, yes. I, I feel like as a society, we all have obligations to pay for things that uh, are for the greater good, whether it's paying your taxes to get the roads fixed, 
um, or paying into, I mean, like, I will never see Medicare at my age, uh, or Social Security, I should say. I don't even really know the difference, because I know it'll be run out by the time I retire. But I still do it, and I don't resent the fact that I have to, because other people need it. And in the case well, of that do specific I, couple, you know... Okay. Well, okay, do I have a right, though, then, to say, so do you have a... Does that, that person, that the college kid have a right... The person who to go to college, do I then have a right to say, no, you can't go to the University of Pennsylvania at $60,000 a year. I want you to go to WCTC, where you can get an education for, I, I don't know, $5,000, whatever that number would be. Do I, do I get a right to say that? Or do people just get to decide to go wherever they want and cost doesn't make any difference? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly agree with some of what you're saying. I think there needs to be a whole reevaluation of higher education and its costs. I don't see a reason that a education, like the difference in costs of college has to be so dramatic depending on the school you're going to. That has to be reassessed entirely. But given the specific things that uh, you're positing, I mean, possibly, I don't think that's out of the question to say that, you know, an $80,000 art school, maybe there would have to be a little bit of proof of intent or a litmus test of whether or not that's the right path, but... I mean, as it stands, I guess we don't have a difference in our system yet, but we should. Okay, fair enough. uh, Janelle, I appreciate your perspective, and you feel free to call back any time. I enjoy hearing opposite (laughs) perspectives, okay? Thanks a lot. All right, thanks. Take care. You bet. I wanted to give her an opportunity to to express that, and I, I mean... And look, I don't mean to mock Janelle. I appreciate her calling up, and her idea is, well, you know, a college education, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's just like, you know, roads. You know, we, we, we all use them. They're for, you, you pay for the road. A, a classic example is, is schools. I mean, I, I do not have children, right? But I mean, I paid, when we lived in Whitefish Bay, believe me, I paid high property taxes to support the school system. Now, I had no problem with that because I, I felt, first of all, that there, there is some sort of, you know, responsibility you, you you have to contribute to society and have educated people. And secondly, on a personal basis, I always felt that, you know, from a home value perspective, if you live in a neighborhood where there's good schools, that's going to be a, a magnet that's going to, when you get ready to sell your house, you're going to attract it there. That, and so I get that. There is, however, a limitation on it. And I'm sorry, I think that's one of the classic examples. If you want the taxpayers to pick up, I don't know, a seventy or an $80,000 tab so you can go and study modern art at some expensive East Coast liberal arts institution, sorry, that that's kind of where where I draw the line. Um, that's if you want to do it, I say go with God, but I think you should figure out how to pay for it. But even more to the point, Right now with student loans, if we want to talk about revamping our educational system and if we want to talk about, okay, free junior college for all, we can have that conversation. But what we're talking about now is people who undertook the obligation, signed the paperwork, agreed that they would repay the loans. And, and yeah, I think they have an obligation to do that. Like I say, if you want to talk about renegotiating the interest rate to make it more doable, I, I'm open to that conversation. But forgiving the student loans, sorry, not there. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, I, I know I noticed you've been moping around a little bit today. Have, have you recovered? Because I, I, know, I know the news yesterday that K-pop 
phenomena BTS, the mm-hmm. fact that they were breaking up, I, I know that hits you kind of hard. Yeah, I'm slowly recovering today. I've been out in the sun a lot to get some vitamin D, raise my spirits a little bit. Uh, but I, I'll make it through. I think I, I'll make it through. You know, th- th- it is one of the the true joys of doing this radio show that because you have to try to keep up on current events as best you can, this stuff really does keep me young. And I I have a confession to make. I I have what I consider to be a pretty exhaustive musical knowledge. And people who, like, listen to my Pop Culture Corner thing on Fridays, I I mean, and I there there are certain musical genres that I I prefer and that I lean to, but I I think I have really, really eclectic tastes. And, like, I mean, I I was listening to the Ramones today. I like punk rock, you know, not all. But I I like, I was listening to the Ramones. I was getting ready for the show, and I, you know, and I, I like sort of the California rock, the, the Linda Ronstadt and the Eagle stuff. And, of course, I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan. So I, I like all this. I have to confess, when I saw the headlines, first of all, K-pop, I, I didn't know what K-pop was. I, you know. You need to get your grandkids into the, your, your I house. I need to get the they grandkids. They, they okay, know. well, that's it. So, uh, which is, of course, for people who don't know what K-pop is, it's not a breakfast cereal. It's a it's it's Korean popular music, which is uh, characterized kind of by like a catchy hook to a song yes. or something yes. like that, right? Yeah. And this this BTS is that is one of the big K-pop groups, huh? Yeah, the biggest. You would recognize them, I think, if you saw a picture of them. They do commercials, I'm pretty sure, for like McDonald's and stuff like that. They've been uh, omnipresent at the Grammys and things along those lines. But I'll admit to you, Jeff, if I did not have uh, young women in my household, I would probably not know who they are either. Not have known it, who it, K-pop is. Yeah, was. it's not my, not my thing. I thought the same thing as you did. I don't even know what K-pop is, so I did a little background. <laughs> and now, now you can't unhear it. If you hear it, you're like, okay, I see why they're so popular. I get it. Okay, I, I'm, I'm afraid that means because my, my producer, Charlie, who's very good about this, he's now probably like trying to find that, that sort of K-pop bumper music to come with. But see, it, it's, it is interesting because this is, this, this must be it for the current generation. I was, um, my my stepdaughter, Jenny, was was I heard this through her mom. She's all excited because Summerfest, July eighth, Backstreet Boys, mm-hmm. which was like the the boy band of of the nineties and stuff. Now I know about Backstreet Boys. I I wouldn't buy a ticket to see Backstreet Boys, but again, that's just a preference. So she and her girlfriends were all excited. They were going down to Summerfest to relive their misbegotten youth because. You know that's uh, that must have been well big. You know, thirty years ago or or whatever when they were when they were teenagers and all. Yeah, no. In in our house, I know it's just talking ancillarily to some people in this building. They're very excited about the Backstreet Boys because it does kind of fall right into that perfect nostalgia niche for people in their mid to late thirties. So I so, get it. So so BTS. That's sort of like the the Backstreet Boys to people who might be to, to young women who might be to women who might be in their mid forties now. The BTS is is that version. I would think so. I think you had what One Direction maybe before One Direction. BTS, yeah, right? One or Direction. The Jonas Brothers yeah. were kind of right bef- in that in that middle period. They're basically that. Yeah, One Direction. That's right. I remember. I I, I remember One Direction only because my niece. Who is now in law school back home for the summer? Love you, Sydney. She was she was big into One Direction, and I remember we we had to uh, the, we were in Las Vegas, and we had to like go out of our way to find tickets to to get her to the the One Direction show. I missed that one too. You didn't get the One Direction. Well, you know who Harry Styles is. Sure. Yeah, he was in One Direction. 
And he's kind of been the he's been the Justin Timberlake of the One Direction crowd. I'm getting like out of my depth zone here, very but quickly, I, right? Yeah. I do know who Harry Styles is. But. That's it. Well, well, I, I'm going to have to do my research, and then we'll, we'll maybe we'll roll out this like pop culture corner music from like 1995 on. And I confess that I I do have some musical gaps that are there if they're not performers that are a little bit older. BTS just had their ninth anniversary as a group. See That's that one astounds of the me. Says. I thought they were like newer than that, but maybe on my radar they had been the last couple of years. But apparently, yeah, they've been around for a while. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they were new to me. <laughs> when I saw that story yesterday. They were new to me. All right, when we come back, something completely different. Stick around. Okay, so that's that's K-pop. That's BTS. it is K-pop. Okay, huh? All right, and everybody's all upset that the band is breaking up. <laughs> okay, all right, no, that's that that that's 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 fine, I guess. To that that's the wonderful thing about music. To to kind of each their own. One of our texters is asking, so Jeff, what shows are you going to go see at Summerfest? And I just. That's a very interesting question. Summerfest, by the way, starts a week from tomorrow. And as we've been mentioning, um, we're going to be broadcasting live every day from Summerfest. I'm going to be down there every weekday. And keep in mind, Summerfest this year, it's Thursday through Saturday over three weekends. It's not the traditional start on a Thursday and then run through the following Sunday. It's three weekends in a row, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And um, I'm going to be broadcasting live every weekday from Summerfest um, with the... Uh, Every weekday from Summerfest with the, um, uh, except for that that first day. Um, People ask me what shows I I might go down to see. Um, I'm thinking... I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, I, you know, Rod Stewart is there. Might see that. Uh, might see him. Uh, uh, Jason Isbell is there the first night. Might go down and, and check that out. A lot of good stuff that, that's going there. I will tell you, one of the fun things I think about at, at Summerfest, and this is what I always encourage people to do, is that um, I, like after I get off the, the air, I, I, I'll wander around for an hour or two. Part of the fun for me about Summerfest is walking around the grounds and finding finding bands that you you haven't heard of maybe they're new and they're upcoming bands and and you can sit there and a lot of times especially like in in the afternoon or early evening before it gets particularly crowded you can sit there and you can get a good seat you can hear some of these bands and you listen to a couple songs and every now and then you you find you know a band that you you really enjoy and and they go on to do all sorts of bigger stuff and you can say you, you saw them there that to me that to me is is the beauty and it's the fun of Summerfest. i mean i i I, I've said this before. I'm, like I said, I was thinking about seeing Rod Stewart. I've seen Rod Stewart a lot of different times. And so the, the idea is, okay, you've seen him on multiple occasions and right. He's got a great song book and he, he's, he's a, and a good entertainer and things like that. But I mean, you, you've seen it. And I said that about Willie Nelson. I, I love Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson is classic Americana. I've probably seen Willie Nelson like 30 or 35 times over, over the years. Do I need to go out and see him again? Or would I be better off investing my time, you know, seeing a show that I haven't seen, but that's the fun of Summerfest. It's discovering those things that, that maybe you haven't seen before. All right. Something completely different. Think about how you get on the Internet. Now, whether it's on your smartphone, 
or your laptop or your desktop computer. Think about the process. You you turn your device on and then you log in and hopefully your internet service comes up and then you have to choose a browser. You have to figure out how how am I going to get on this thing we, we call the internet. And maybe if you're an Apple user, you use Safari. If you um, have, a, have a PC, um, there, there's a lot of different choices you have. Maybe it, it's Microsoft Edge, which is their browser that they use. Google Chrome is incredibly popular. I think that's probably the most popular browser that's out there now. I saw the numbers. And, and maybe it's something else you use. I mean, I don't know if people still use Firefox. That was around for a while. But you have to choose a browser. The chances are, though, if you started using the Internet right around the time that Al Gore first invented it, the I think the first big Internet browser was Microsoft Explorer. Remember, everybody had Internet Explorer, and and that was the state of the art. That was the thing that everybody used. Explorer, what was that? Well, I bring this up because after more than 27 years, if you haven't been paying attention to this, today, Microsoft is pulling the plug on Internet Explorer. Now, it, the 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 device the browser had a reputation for being slow and archaic but but even though that was the case i know that there's a lot of people out there who got used to it and frankly have have never moved on from this and so it's not around anymore now if you still like explorer apparently if you go to microsoft edge there's a way that you can access an explorer like thing through there but um Internet Explorer is is being retired. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just one segment on this, but I, I want to talk about, you know, browsers, how you get onto the Internet, what your frustrations are, and whether or not, I don't know, you're going to miss Internet Explorer now that it's gone away. For me, um, I, I have both an Apple and a PC. Google Chrome is on the PC. That's probably my browser of choice, and Safari on my Apple laptop. 855-616-1620. You're going to miss Internet Explorer. How do you get on the Internet? We discuss in just a moment. We were talking about Backstreet Boys. Uh, I, somebody points out new kids on the block, which were the, the predecessor to them. They're, they're in Milwaukee tonight. Yeah, they're still around. They're performing at, at Fiserv this evening. Um, here, here's another breaking news story. And I, I guess I, I, I bring it to your attention. And my only comment is there, there, there is some irony here somewhere. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the leader of the U.S. government's COVID pandemic response, has tested positive for the coronavirus. Fauci, who is fully vaccinated and twice boosted against COVID, is experiencing mild symptoms, which is good. Dr. Fauci will isolate and will continue to work from home. He is, of course, um, 81 years old and he's, you know, older people are in a, a higher risk category. And I just, I just pass, I just pass that on and people can take from it what they will. And we all hope Dr. Fauci has a very, very quick recovery. And that is the one you know, whatever else we think about the vaccines and decisions to get vaccinated and things like that, for people who are fully vaccinated, 
even though the most recent round of vaccinations don't appear to stop you from getting the current uh, addition and variant of, of COVID, what it does in most cases is it guarantees that you're not going to get extremely sick. And that's good news. But um, Dr. Fauci has now tested positive for coronavirus. All right, if you didn't know this, uh, today is the last day for Internet Explorer. And my guess is many of you, like me, when you started surfing the Internet, Internet Explorer was the browser that you used. Microsoft is retiring it, effective today. Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, Just my first point, whatever, was that actually was the first widely used browser was actually Netscape Navigator. But then if you remember the history on that one, whatever, Microsoft basically ate them up, whatever, by including Internet Explorer and Windows, the Windows package and their lawsuits all about that. But just when it comes to Internet Explorer, um, I made about two months ago, whatever, I made the, I finally made the switch, whatever. And I started using Chrome and I thought, not Chrome, but but a Microsoft Edge. Which is the the new. Which is the browser that, the new Internet Explorer. But I found that Edge is much more stable. Um, has less bugs and quirks and performance issues than than Internet Explorer has. Um, if, I mean, all my favorites and everything moved over with no with no issues. The websites I visit um, have no performance issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, Scott, so, did you say you were you were though you were still using Explorer up until a couple months ago? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, I. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not abusing you. It's just that that's been one that it's just it's been sort of a dinosaur for the the longest period of time, and that's why, like I said, I think most people nowadays either use Microsoft Edge, which is what Microsoft would like you to do, or or Google Chrome, or of course, if you're on Apple, then you're you're using Safari. But it, it's interesting. Jeff Explorer has been a dinosaur for years. I can't even remember how long it's been since I used Explorer. I only use um, Chrome right right now. So, you know, there you've got that. Jeff, until the announcement this morning, I didn't even know Internet Explorer was still a thing. We've used Chrome for a long time, uh, tried Firefox for a while until it got really slow. Yeah, I... I, years ago, I tried Firefox, and that just that I was having all sorts of problems with it. So I'm I am either a Chrome guy or a Microsoft Edge guy. Actually, I find I have less problems with Edge. I'm just not sure I, I like the design quite as well. But if you're one of those people who has been using Internet Explorer, and you try to log on today, and you find that there's some issues with the browser, it's because. Well, Internet Explorers, it's not working anymore. So you need to move to Plan B, whatever that might be. As we've been telling you all day, there is the potential for severe weather this evening. And this kind of happens. Apparently, there's a cold front that's out there. And as we all know, it is extremely warm right now. And what happens when you have that cold front that bangs into the warm front? It leads to conditions where you have strong winds and uh, thunderstorms and, and maybe even a couple tornadoes. So you know, keep it tuned to WTMJ. We're geared up to keep you advised. Right now, the, 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 the whole area is, is under a watch for this. Uh, it the, the predictions, and, and who knows for sure, that the greatest chances of the really severe weather appear to be kind of in in the center of of the state, whether it's you know, Madison or Portage or Oshkosh or or then moving towards Green Bay and Wausau, and then the closer you get to the lake. It diminishes at least slightly, but there's still a, the whole area 
um, is is in this area where it's potential for tornadoes or whatever. So, and, and then once it clears out, it looks like the once we get through the, this evening, looks like we're in for a really glorious stretch of weather for the next couple of days. And and I think we certainly deserve that. A little bit warm tomorrow, but then this weekend looks about as close to perfect as it can possibly be. But my point is, there is some severe weather in the area that's going to be moving through this evening early and then a little bit later before it moves out. So keep it tuned to WTMJ. We will continue to keep you updated on that. And speaking of speaking of updates, um, I was talking during the 1 o'clock hour about the the Federal Reserve and the decision they made to raise interest rates to, by, by three-quarters of a percentage point, which is the largest rate increase since 1994. That that rate increase has been talked about for a couple of days, and I, I think that was one of the reasons that the stock market kind of took a big hit over the last several days, because the concern is, hey, the, the cost of borrowing is going to increase too much, and companies are going to end up pulling back, and it's going to lead to a recession. And we were watching you know, what was going on in the stock market. Right after they made the announcement, the stock market took a, took a dive um, going from like up 300 points to down into negative territory, it's now back. And that was one of the things I was saying in the last hour. I, I wasn't as concerned because I think this three-quarter percentage point, th- the three-quarters of a point rate increase was kind of baked into some of the declines over the last few days. So it really wasn't a surprise. And I think there's a lot of people, myself included, who think the Fed needs to start doing things to fight inflation. So that the good news if you have money invested in the market, is the, it, the stock market has come back. Right now, the Dow is up about 532 points, which is not close to where it was like even a week ago. And the NASDAQ is up 362. So, so far, the markets have responded positively to the three quarter of, the point three quarter, three quarters of a point um, rate increase. So that is good news. All right. I'm not surprised, are you? The Washington Post has a poll that, that they, they just did. A poll was conducted um, for two, over a two-week period a couple weeks ago. And what they did is they surveyed people's position on the role of transgender athletes in sports. Now, this, this has really come to a head primarily because of, of swimming, and you had a situation, we've talked about this a couple times, where you had, for the University of Pennsylvania, you had a, an athlete who was born a male, competed as a swimmer, as a male, and had modi- had a modicum of success, moderate success, was not a world-class swimmer or anything like that, but, but did well, had a college scholarship and stuff, was certainly an above-average performer. That individual then transitioned into a female and took a year off and then came back and competed most recently in a lot of swimming tournaments in the female category. And if, if you look at the athlete, there the body type, the body structure is completely different from the, the typical female athletes, but he had transitioned into a she and was allowed to compete and won all sorts of won all sorts of awards and set all sorts of records. Um that that the athlete would not have done if they were competing against males. And this has created a huge controversy, including from a lot of the female athletes who just don't think it's fair to be competing against somebody who is biologically, in many respects, a male. 
because, as we frequently say, boys and girls are different. I mean, and, and even if you have somebody who is born male who transitions to female, it doesn't change the fact that their their heart is going to be different, their lungs are going to be different, they're just going to be, in general, probably larger, and I've always argued that they have an advantage. So anyhow, Washington Post does this poll, and to me, the question isn't, you know, do you think people should be able to transition? I mean, at least I hope that's not what the question is. Because I have no problem. It, does, it doesn't matter if you're if you're a female that's born trapped in a male's body and you want to transition and go through all that stuff. Go with God. That that's you know I think that's a decision that that you make and and vice versa. That's different though than allowing people who are born as biological males who transition to then compete against women and girls. And so that's what they ask. They say, okay, you know, do you think that transgender women and girls should be able to compete with other women and girls in high school sports? And 55% say, yeah, no, they don't think that transgender athletes should be able to compete. When they ask that question about college sports, 58% of the people say, no, we don't think that they should be able to compete because we think it gives them an unfair advantage. Thinking about transgender women and girls, people whose sex was classified as male at birth but who currently identify as female, do you think transgender women and girls should or should not be allowed to compete in sports with other women and girls at each of the following levels? And again, high school, 55% say no. College, 58% say no. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Toll text line. See, I don't and, and the results of this study, it's getting panned a lot because there's some people that are pointing out, oh, this just shows the hatred that people have towards trans people and things like that. And, and my response is, is no, that's not what it, it shows. This is, to me, about protecting, in this case, female sports. Because, as I just mentioned, boys and girls are different. Men and women are different. And in many of these different sports, if you take somebody who was biologically a male with the male lungs, with the male heart, with the male body structure, even if they they transition, they're still going to have an advantage. And of all people, the tennis superstar, former tennis superstar Martina Navratilova, agrees with me. 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620. All right, so the Washington Post does this poll, and the question they ask is, do you believe that transgender women and girls should be allowed to compete in sports with other women and girls? And uh, the numbers break down. High school, about 55% of the people say no. About 58% of the people say no in college. And some folks are, are viewing this as, oh, this just shows that people aren't willing to accept transgender folks. And to, to me, no, that's not what it, it shows a, at all. It's not a question of accepting people who are transgender. It's about protecting the integrity, in this case, of, of girls' sports and recognizing that if you take somebody who is a really, really solid, let's say, competitive athlete in swimming who is born biologically as a male, and you, even after transitioning, allow them to get, compete against females, they're going to have an unfair advantage. Let's start with Dave. Dave, you're on WTMJ. 
Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Dave. What do you think? I think um, a long time we've been thinking about this should be a separate category probably for uh, anybody that wants to trans over. They can call it whatever they want. They can set all their own records mm-hmm. and just have their own category, and that would take care of all the issues. Then there would be right. no yeses, no noes, uh, you know. Yeah, you, you'd have, I mean, thanks, for, and, and then you'd have kind of this, this level playing field that's out there. I mean, I guess here's, and I, I rebel against this idea that if you think that it's unfair to take, I don't know, let, let's just say to, to take a, a, somebody who's biologically born as a male who's, you know, a, a star basketball player who decides to transition and, and does all the stuff that you need to do to transition and then having them, you know, play against women. I, I think it's almost impossible to argue that that doesn't give an unfair advantage to, and look, and I, I just, look, there's, there's lots of females that are much better basketball players than I am. I get it. But if you're going to compare apples to apples, let's say, I mean, you take a, a really good high school male basketball player and you put them up against a really good high school female basketball player, apples to apples, same level. And what you're going to see is the male basketball player, because men are different than women, they're, they're, they're going to be, quote unquote, better, which is taking nothing away from the talents of the female players. But to, just look, I mean, how many women dunk basketballs, you know, in high school or in college or in uh, even in pros? How many dunk basketballs? Whereas, you know, you, you've got a lot of times the, you know, pretty much everybody in the NBA is dunking basketballs. It's just the genetic difference. So to me, this isn't about acceptance of people who might be, you know, transitioning i i get it that's that's a decision if you want to transition that that's that's fine that's a decision that you make in conjunction with you know your medical advisors or whatever but this idea that you know we're going to have you compete and to me it's not denying the transgender athlete it's not about denying them an opportunity to compete it's more about saying look i i want to make sure that the the female Athletes, the females who were born female and identify as female and haven't gone through all these different therapies or whatever, that you know those who, who've worked all their their life to to run track or to swim or to be on a basketball team or whatever, that that they're not pushed off because suddenly they are competing with the the transgender athlete who has the inherent advantage of having been born male. Um, I guess. You know, that's it. Um, Jeff, I, I think that, you know, you should only be able to compete against those, you know, who you biologically identify with. Um, Jeff, I think it does diminish the integrity of sport and potential opportunities for those who are trying to go farther in the support. Jeff, I'm with you. Why weren't men's and women's sports sep- Why were they separated in the first place? Probably because of the competitive edge. Well, yeah, that's... That's exactly it. It's why you you don't have, let's take the swimming example, it's why you don't have the male swimmers competing against the female swimmers because at the elite level, the the male swimmers are going to have faster times. That's just the reality. Now, again, you... 
you know, you you put me in the swimming pool, and you know, I'm I'm sure that there's probably ninety percent of the you know women who are swimming in high school are, are going to be able to swim faster than me. But we're talking about at that elite level how it all works out and how it plays out. So anyhow, this is the Washington Post story, and I bring it up again only because. Some people are saying, oh, this just shows how far we need to go in accepting transgender people. To me, it, it's it's no, that that's not what this means at all. It just means we can accept transgender people, but that doesn't mean that that opens the door to everything. And you still have to recognize that, you know, especially in the world of sport, there are different things. If we're talking about, you know, debate or we're talking about, I don't know, theater, or we're talking about, you know, French club or or whatever. That's a whole different story. But we're talking about competitive sports where biology does make a huge difference.